Welcome to the RICO 12 Shares Podcast. This is an open to all addictions and afflictions sharing meeting. If you would like to record a share or a recovery prayer for RICO 12 Shares, please go to www.rico12.com forward slash shares and follow the links there or click on the link in the show notes. RICO 12 Shares is not a dumping ground for problems, nor is it a place for storytelling. RICO 12 Shares is not a place for crosstalk or contacting others. RICO 12 Shares is not a place to promote or proselytize any products, services, or specific religions. RICO 12 Shares is a place to share and hear the solution, your experience, strength, and hope. RICO 12 Shares is a short shares-only meeting closed out with a recovery prayer that is recorded by any one of our participants or audience members. The RICO 12 family of recovery services is supported by participants and listeners. To become a supporter, what we call a RICO 12 spearhead, please go to www.rico12.com forward slash support or click on the link in the show notes. It is now time to share. RICO 12 shares. So this is Harvey E. in Toronto, and I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. And um, I thought I would continue my uh, my early uh, experiences with with SA, um, and uh, hopefully share a little bit of uh, of the journey and a little bit of the solution and, and along the way. Um, so yeah, so I started going to meetings uh, in January of 2014, and for the first three weeks. I kept my coat on, my hat on. I did not want anyone to know that I was an Orthodox Jew. I didn't want them to see my kippah, my yarmulke. And um, even though I'm sure I looked Jewish, but I wasn't ready to let anybody know that. Um, and I sat there and I did very little sharing. I said my name and I said that I was a sexaholic after the first or second meeting. But I really didn't share and I did because I didn't really want to open up and I was ashamed and, and nervous and really quite frightened. Um, but I did notice that other people were pretty calm and uh, that was a, that gave me hope that that would change for me too. And thankfully it did. I did not give anyone my phone number. I did not give anyone, I did not take anyone's phone number. I did not start the process of building a fellowship around me the way I now know that how important that is. I basically sat there in my isolation uh, and listened. And the interesting thing was every day of the week, I went to meetings almost every day in those days. Somebody had recommended 90 and 90. So I, I did take that pretty, pretty seriously. Every meeting was a different reading because every day of the week they had a different book that they looked, they read from. So there was a bit of incongruity there because one day they read the big book, the next day they read the white book, the next day they read the, you know, step into action, the next day they read the 12 and 12. Um, you know, every day of the week was a different book uh, and and they were on a different step and they were on a different topic. So there was, it was a big, big jumble. Uh, there wasn't a lot of, of, you know, nothing really made any sense. It was all a mix of stuff. Uh, I could relate to a lot of things on a you know on a moment by moment basis, but it there was no package. It did not. There was no way to really see things in you know as a as the package of what the steps were about and what I was could be hoping to gain, what was supposed to happen. 
Um, you know, and, and it, it was a little bit disconcerting because uh, I'm, I'm a pretty analytical person. Um, and uh, it was really hard to, to figure out what was going on and everything was kind of jumbled. Um, but I did notice that I was becoming more and more comfortable. Uh, I still didn't give my name to anybody or my, my phone number to anyone until three weeks later, somebody walked in who uh, shares my faith. Uh, he was another Orthodox Jew and he looked it and he was clear, clearly an Orthodox Jew. And he walked up to me and he said, Shalom Aleichem, which is the nice way of Jewish way of saying welcome. And I said, excuse me. And he looked at me and he goes, you're not fooling anyone. Give me your number. <laughs> so his name was Jack. And I gave Jack my number. And uh, that was the beginning of a friendship, which I cherish until today. He literally carried me on his back for eight or nine months until I got serious in the program. And I know that I owe a lot of my recovery today to that man. Um, so thank you for letting me share. Rico 12 shares. Good morning. My name is Justin. I am a sex addict, a food addict. I'm an addict of many different varieties, but I'm living in the beautiful miracle of recovery. And I want to share a little bit about my thoughts on that this morning. I just got off a phone call with a sponsee and we had a really meaningful discussion about how when oftentimes when I go into a room of recovery, there's a lot of people that just are there hoping for an easy fix. And, and I've seen this in the past and I saw it more clearly today as someone coming in and, you know, having a broken arm or an ACL tear and just uh, want to cast a surgery, a knee brace for six weeks, eight weeks, a couple of months, whatever it may be. And then be, do a little bit of physical therapy after that and be good to go. I, as an addict, and I even am going to expand this. I, as a human, cannot live up to what I believe my higher power wants me to be with that attitude. Oh, I've got a boo-boo. I need a band-aid. And once it's fixed, I'm good to go. In my addiction, in my life, I am not just a band-aid, a broken arm, a, a surgery, uh, to fix a, a knee or an ankle away from being what my higher power wants and needs me to be. I am a full heart, lung, kidney, liver, pancreas transplant. I am a full body transplant away from being that person. And the cool thing about it is as I live step three and give my will and my life away to God every day, every day I have that surgery happen. But I have to, as, as with a, you know, any organ transplant situation and surgery, I have to take medication every day so that my body, my natural man, my creature doesn't reject those new organs. I have to take my medication every day, one day at a time for the rest of my life. And that's how it is in, in, in recovery. I get to 
live this beautiful, free, amazing life, this new life with new heart, new, you know, a new me every day. But man, as soon as I slip into complacency and say, oh, I feel great. I'm going to stop doing these things that get me here. I'm going to stop turning my will and my life over to God just for today. As soon as I stop doing those things, my body starts rejecting that change of heart, that change of, 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 of being that has miraculously, miraculously come into my life. And I just can't, I won't do that today. And I sure hope that tomorrow morning when I wake up, I will make the same decision that I'm going to take my medicine, do the things, say the things, act the things that have gotten me to where I am today. Because it works when I work it. And dang it, I am worth it. And so are you. I'll pass. Rika 12 shares. Hi, my name is Karen from Jerusalem, and I'm an addict. I identify as a coda and a non and a slaw, though I came into the rooms through Overeaters Anonymous about nine years ago. The weight came off, some of the sanity set in. And uh, there I was going through life, working more of a program, less of a program. I had some difficult life circumstances that kind of served me sunny side up and made me want to work with a CODA sponsor through her sharing about SLA. I realized I have a love addiction. That means just not romantic relationships um, that could take place in a marriage that I had with instant friendships and best friends in the workplace. And so today I work the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, specifically the workbook, the Spiritual Gangsters Fellowship, to tackle my people addictions. And, and maybe that's even the wrong way of putting it to get myself out of the way of connecting with people and put God in there. How do I see God in other people? How do I act more godly and divine in my interactions? This is simple. It's not easy. Particularly this week, it's a lot of living in six and seven praying for God to remove my character defects, take them all away, my anger, my aggressiveness, my selfishness, my stubbornness, my violence, my temper, my frustration, my negativity, my self-pity, my martyrdom, and ask him, ask him to replace it with all things good and divine, patience, compassion, Faith, trust, courage. Need a lot of courage to counter a whole lot of fear and terror. Peace, equanimity. 
faith, 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 and more faith. Self-love, trust that I am loved. And so that's what I do these days. Whether it's a face my boss makes at me when I can tell that I've gotten on her nerves. Or one of my children isn't listening. Or one of my teens is mouthing off at me. Or my mother is criticizing me. Or I'm having a little bit of weirdness with a friend. In any of those situations, I will stop. I will stop. I will try to pause. Hand over my character defects, my shortcomings to my higher power. Pray for the opposite asset, that good divine quality. Share those with another person. I'll get straight away to helping others, which is why I'm here sharing with you today. Because I had to give those up, get out of myself, get closer to God, and start helping others. Thank you. Rico 12 shares. Hello, my name is James. I'm an addict. I wanted to read you something that I wrote not long after coming out of rehab, which was an experience I had which really did change my life in a profound way. And this is it. At the very beginning of 2020, I had the immense privilege of attending a rehab in Scotland, which is its official title, but is now what I refer to as the University of Life for 12 weeks. One thing happened there that has changed my life in such a profound way, and I wanted to share it with you all in case it helps anyone to navigate the harder parts of human relationships and life in general. One morning, I attended a men's meeting at 9am. My amazing therapist, Jim Ferguson, happened to be the facilitator that particular morning. As the meeting began, he asked me to read the preamble, a piece of text read out before each meeting to set the intention for that hour. This was after many of us in that room had been there for eight weeks plus. So the preamble was so familiar, it had lost some of its power. That day I looked around at the men and thought if I injected some life and colour into the reading of it, it might lift some of the more depressed spirits that morning up a little and help the meeting be really beneficial to us all. Having been to a drama college known as Lambda and acted publicly red lines for many years, I felt I could. And so I began to read. About 20 seconds in my always in, I'm sorry, about 20 seconds in my always quietly spoken gentle therapist raised, raised his voice to a level I'd never heard him use and attacked me saying, do you think this is funny? You guys are suffering from a disease that can kill and that is often a matter of life or death. Stop clowning around and read it properly, James. I was shocked. I had no idea why he would say that. I read it again monotone, handed it back to him and proceeded to stare at the floor for the entire hour, not contributing, not listening, wrapped up in a fog of resentment, anger and hurt for being publicly attacked and shamed when I had been trying to help. The meeting ended. Everyone went their separate ways. Six hours later, I had my one-to-one with Jim, which happened two to three times a week. When I arrived at his door, I hadn't forgotten that morning's incident. But when you're in a place like that, so much happens that it wasn't forefront in my mind as I walked in. We gave each other a hug like we always did 
and called each other by our fun nicknames, which we had created for each other. He would call me James James Carrington Carrington, like the poem James James Morrison Morrison, and I would call him Sir Jimothy of Ferg. As we sat in our respective chairs, he said, we're starting a very important next stage in your treatment today. But before we do that, there's something I need to say. A little confused and in the dark, I said, oh, what's that then? He said, I need to apologise for this morning. Since that meeting, I have realised what you were doing and how I had no right to shout at you like that. How do you feel about it? I looked at him and said, oh, well, Jim, you were the facilitator. I suppose it was fair enough. He replied, no, James, that's not good enough. How do you really feel about it? Surprised, I shrugged and half laughed. He, he stared at me. It took me five answers to give him the one he was looking for. When I eventually said, well, yeah, you were bang out of order. I don't know why you shouted and shamed me like that when I was just trying to help everyone. And it really wasn't okay to do that. He looked at me, paused and said, why didn't you say that to me at the time? Surprised, I replied, I don't know, and shrugged. He said, I do. Perplexed, I looked at him. How could you possibly know why I didn't and why I behaved the way I behaved? He said, ever since you were eight years old and in your first three weeks of boarding at your prep school that you were made to go to, you cried every night, hating it and wanting to go home. And you weren't heard by the teachers or by your parents. You learned at that crucial age that your feelings didn't matter and weren't important when they deserved to and needed to be heard. And so you have become a people pleaser and an avoider, unable to face the difficult situations that happen so often in life, particularly in confrontations with people. You need to unlearn that and learn how to approach them differently. I sat there in silence, my mind blown. Suddenly all those millions of situations I had been in throughout my 38 years on the planet since being eight years old came rushing back. And I realised how I'd gone about them all like that, unable to use the much healthier and productive method of calmly dealing with it in the moment. Shouting in arguments, the weakest thing you can do in one, in my opinion, getting hurt, not being heard, teased painfully, or cut down unfairly so many times, and taking it all inward, where they remained festering into untreated resentments. Years and years of behaving and reacting in a way that was so detrimental to me and often to those I was in the situations with. I'll help you change this, James, he said. We'll find a much better, healthier way for you to live and love the rest of your life. Not long afterwards, I came down to my parents' home, and a few days after I had returned, my mum kicked off in the kitchen, like she had done for so many years, completely ridiculous, out of order, no idea why she said it, except I know that she's deeply unhappy within herself. Every time before that, I would have either reacted by fighting with her or I'd have stormed out or just got really quiet and resentful. That day I went, Mum, that doesn't work for me. I understand why you might need to say that, but it just didn't, doesn't work for me. So it's probably best that we just agree to disagree. I walked out of the room. I walked up to my bedroom. And in rehab, they had told us to sit with the feelings when you've done something that you'd never done before that had been suggested and see how you felt. I felt calm, I felt peaceful, I felt serene. I didn't feel resentful towards her. And then I felt unbelievable when I realized just how much of a profound change that was. And that 
moment in rehab was probably the single most profoundly life-changing experience I'd ever undergone, and it has changed my life completely ever since. It's helped me to grow, it's helped me to face my fears, and it's helping me learn to live life on life's terms. Helping me, almost every time I've been in difficult situations, I have approached them with a different mindset and a set of tools that helps me navigate them in a healthy and beneficial way, and it's better for those I come into contact with, with too. I will never forget what Jim did for me, what the 12 steps are doing for me, my sponsor, God, everything, and what that amazing university of life did to help me turn my life around completely. My life has been so different and so much better ever since. I share this in the hope it might help even one other person, because when you are given something so special, it's so important to pass that on to others who would benefit from it. Please share this on if you'd like to. I hope it will bring great relief to the many difficult challenges we all face. Thanks for letting me share. Lots of love. It is now time to close the RICO 12 Shares meeting. If you wish to share some of your recent experience, strength, and hope, or have insights that you've gained from other speakers or other meetings, please follow the links in the show notes to our website and submit a recorded share there. You can also become a RICO 12 spearhead and financially support these projects by clicking on the support link in the show notes. Thanks. We will now launch off into the rest of our day with a prayer. Hi, my name is Stefano, and I will record the prayer in Italian. Signore, fa di me uno strumento della tua pace. Dove c'è odio, io porti amore. Dove c'è discordia, io porti l'unione. Dove c'è errore, io porti la verità. Dove c'è dubbio, io porti la fede. Dove c'è disperazione, io porti la speranza. O divino maestro, che io non cerchi tanto di essere consolato quanto di consolare, di essere compreso quanto di comprendere, di essere amato quanto di amare. Infatti, domando si riceve, dimenticandosi si trova comprensione, perdonandosi e perdonati, morendo si risuscita la vita eterna. Keep coming back. It works when you work it. So work it. You are worth it.